You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde of Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. Ed Ludlow is off today. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, full earnings coverage ahead. We wrap Spotify's results and push ahead to the all-important Alphabet, Microsoft and Snap. Plus, what does Twitter's change to X mean for the company's brand value? We'll break down the potential implications. And how is AI rewriting the rules for the $200 billion gaming industry? We'll sit down with Super League Gaming CEO Anna Hand for her thoughts. But first, big week for earnings. What is 170 companies reporting this week? But the two we want to keep an eye on today, Microsoft, Alphabet. There's also going to be Snap as cool as well. Let's let's dig into some of the key AI plays with Anurag Rana from Bloomberg Intelligence, who I'm pleased to say is on the all-important week right here in the New York studio. Anurag, the rallies have been hard. What, 45% at least for Microsoft so far this year. The valuations must make a few people question whether they can live up to it. Yeah, I think that's why, you know, we'll see tonight when the cloud results come out is whether there is any kind of a push from the increased use of chat GPT or is that offset by weak corporate spending? Mm -hmm. And I think that remains the biggest question for Microsoft. They have to come out and defend their cloud numbers and showcase that there should be an improvement in that over the next 12 months for, you know, this valuation to hold. And so maybe looking forward to when AI can start to be revenue generating. But when we look at Alphabet, everyone's been worried about whether it's been a competitive threat to their search business. Yeah, but I think that's too soon to call that. It's going to take a while before all of these things really, you know, play out. Uh, Microsoft is behind on search, and I don't think that they can catch up in a quarter or so. Um, you know, it's it's very impressive to see what uh, ChatGPT has been able to do. But you know, habits are not going to change overnight. It's going to take some time for that to happen. But as I said, cloud business is where it really gets defined for Microsoft because if you look at it, Azure's growth was 47% a year ago. Mm. It's going to be around 26, 27% today. So it's a massive drop from that high bar. But the question is, is this the quarter where this, you know, we see the bottom and we see, start to see a U-turn next quarter? Or is it going to take another quarter or two for that to play out? And I think that will be driven by comments from the CEO and the CFO is uh, that the new AI workloads, are they really coming you know, with a lot of momentum or are we are still going to be a while before we see that? 
looks at Microsoft, of course, we're anticipating hopefully that the bottom is in for advertising when we look at what Alphabet's going to be pulling in. Great setup for us, Anurag Rana, on all things Microsoft and, of course, some of the other big beasts. Well, one view out there is that actually maybe these big beasts have run too far. Maybe you need to be cautious on some of the Magnificent Seven. Catherine Munavera is one of those voices, chief market strategist over at Stonex Group. And Catherine... How are you trading? How are you thinking ahead of these big, all-important results? Well, we have earnings uh, this week uh, coming up with some of the major powerhouses, uh, Microsoft and Visa and Verizon. Across the board, um, you have some big names reporting earnings, some which are between 20 and 23% of their respective ETF and indexes uh, within the communications sector, within uh, technology. So it's going to be very important that these beat uh, for the market to continue to move higher. They are likely to do so, but what I would say is that we're at the uh, precipice or we're at the, the very peak of where we are anticipating the Fed to you know, stay on hold. Everyone's expecting 25 basis points tomorrow and then on hold uh, for a good amount of time. Mm. My expectation, however, is that if the consumer remains as strong as it has, Caroline, we had consumer confidence commit at the highest in two years today, then it's going to be very difficult for the Fed to get to that 2% target with service sector inflation as robust as it is and will continue to be. If that's the case and the Fed has to hike again, then this is negative for those highly interest rate sensitive um, sectors and stocks, which are the biggest heavyweights in the ind indices. So good that you put it in the macro context. I'm therefore interested in if you have ridden this wave, the Magnificent Seven, the big AI trade, do you have to now protect the downside? Do you start profit taking? Well, it's a good moment to at least play the laggards. And what we've seen is some of those laggards catch up. This is the catch-up trade. It's the definition of so. So it's really been tech and specifically AI that has led the market rally year to date. We have not seen uh, material um, appreciation in materials or banks or industrials until today. So we are seeing industrials uh, jump quite a bit. We at Stonex have a really big commodity section, and the guys are more enthusiastic with regard to possible demand for these materials if China does, in fact, come with a material or a significant infrastructure or stimulus package of some sort. So I would say play the catch-up trade, play the laggards, the cyclical laggards that will benefit from what could be a very good print on Friday. If we get core PCE coming at less than 4.6, where it's kind of been for a, you know, a significant period of time, maybe 4.1, 4.2, then that's going to be additional boost for the, for, the, for, for the long risk trade, which is, in my view, the most overcrowded trade hmm. today. So yes, there are potential to still play this rally, but I would advise uh, clients that everything is cyclical. We are in an economic cycle, and in my view, the next phase of the economic cycle is going to be recession. Timing ah. is the tricky point. And is that global recession, Catherine? Well, you know, I think we, we, it's meaningful to talk about different uh, stages. So perhaps the U.S. enters recession after Europe does, or China enters a uh, slowdown. So there's different phases. So it doesn't have to all happen at once, and we shouldn't expect it to. But I do believe that these delayed impacts, and everyone talks about the infamous long and, uh, long and, and, and prolonged um, impact of monetary policy, in a data-dependent Fed doesn't really, doesn't really mesh. So what I would say is look on Friday's number. Friday's 
Wednesday's number is probably going to be very good. And I would say Thursday and Friday with second quarter GDP, Caroline, and core PC coming in respectively Thursday and Friday are going to be more important data points than Wednesday's very well expected 25 basis point hike. If the United States is, or if the Federal Reserve is really serious about its 2% target, doesn't change it, isn't complacent with a three handle or a high two handle, uh, then we could get an additional, additional hike. And if that's the case, then we're talking 550 basis points, um, maybe more in total rate hikes. That will yeah. start to affect um, the credit cycle. We're already seeing some difficulty with regard to payments in the real economy. Catherine, just how many of your clients are wanting to play the AI tech trade? How many of them feel they've missed it? How many of them feel that there's other names that they could look at other than some of the really big tech heavyweights? Well, at Stonex, we do cover a wide breadth. So it's everything from commodities to tech to securities to, um, to global payments and clearing. So it's a massive uh, company. We have 4,000 people, and, and it's a Fortune 100, NASDAQ listed, actually. Um, but a lot of clients are keen on following this trend, and you know they follow the buck. So what I would say is there's a lot of interest with regard to the laggards looking at the small caps, which have lagged, for example, the triple Qs in a very meaningful way. So there's interest in finding ways to to play this momentum-driven, multiple expansion-driven rally without getting into the high flyers at exorbitant multiples. And my contention, uh, Caroline, is that the growth sector, specifically AI and tech, is trading at exorbitant multiples. And I sort of asked a little bit about hedging. You sort of gave this very thoughtful response about well, them playing some of the laggards in different industries. But what about volatility gauges? What about looking at ways to protect your downside? Is there a way of doing that for some of these? Well, very lofty valuations. And that's another way that our clients are playing this. With our options desk at Stonex, what they're doing is they are buying uh, VXX options or they're buying puts on, on, on the S&P 500 index. These are ways to protect in a cheap way, of course, because the market is so exuberant and complacent at the current levels, making this kind of a counter-cyclical portfolio policy. And this is something that I published in my piece last week. It's important to think counter-cyclically when the market is so exuberant and so uh, powerfully positive to protect yourself. And you can do so in a cheap way. You can you can hold a, a nice portion in cash, buy some gold, buy defensive sectors, which are very cheap at current levels, because no one's really anticipating. And I think that the recession risk is massively underappreciated currently. So that's staples, that's utilities, that's healthcare. Um, these are sectors that are defensive and value-driven in nature, and that's also where our clients are focused. Great to get the perspective. Diversification is where it's at. Catherine Rooney-Vera, thank you so much, Chief Market Strategist at Stoner X Group. Meanwhile, coming up, we've got more on the earnings theme. Spotify, look at misses on estimates on revenue, but it does give a strong monthly active user count. We're going to dig into the details. Speaking of earnings as well, actually, Catherine mentioned the name Verizon. We're watching shares up a percentage point. The largest U.S. wireless carrier actually reported earnings that beat estimates of profit for subscribers after a bit of a surprising turnaround in that customer growth. From New York, this is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice 
or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. a look at Spotify because it reported earnings before the market opened this morning and look the shares are getting beaten up off the back of it because second quarter revenue and third quarter revenue well forecast they missed expectations though look the forecast for monthly active users was better than expected we're trying to gauge the analyst reaction to this one city in particular deemed Spotify a buy saying that given their revenue miss quote we would not be surprised to see the shares trading lower shares currently down as you see what 14% almost on this day of trade Sandeep Sharma, I'm pleased to say, is another analyst we can turn to with this moment. Third Bridge joining for more. And look, it's the worst day since February 2022 for this particular stock. Were you as concerned by the forecast as the market seems to be? Again, Caroline, great, great, to have, great to be on again. A um, couple of things over here. I think when you're thinking about this longer term, right, yes, the market is clearly penalized Spotify because of certain misses. And I think this is mostly around the issue with slightly missing their gross profit margin targets. But if you look at the bigger picture over here, right, the MAU as well as the premium subscriber additions that they were able to achieve in this last quarter really shows that their overarching strategy of gaining more subscribers in developed markets and developing markets is beginning to play, off, play out. I think the big thing over here to bear in mind for retail and institutional investors is Spotify is executing on rationalizing its cost space. It's really trying to be a leaner machine across the entire board. But such things do take some time to materialize in terms of earnings. So while we are seeing a YTD uh, really substantial share price rally versus the slash that we saw in 2021 to 2022, I think, or based on our observations and the yeah. and the experts interviewed at Third Bridge. The penalization right now might be more of a short-term reaction as everybody's getting used to this information and sort of getting prepared for what Q3 and Q4 holds for them. Okay, so push ahead. The premium price hike that we found finally catching up with other offerings out there from Amazon and the like, do you think that will in any way crimp back on that user uptick we've seen? Such a great question, right? So that's something that everybody is waiting to see how it's going to play out. Um, based on the observations and the analysis we have done, 
music as well as music streaming is quite a commodity and people tend to not churn as much as they would expect. If you think about Spotify's timing with this as well, they're doing it after majority of other players have already taken this move. So it's kind of defensive on their part to do this and also imperative of them to do it as well. Again, difficult to say currently at this stage whether it's going to lead to a huge amount of churn or substantial slowdown and uptick of new consumers. But if the price that they're playing right now versus other players, it's more or less in line or slightly competitive, it shouldn't be as negative an impact as everybody's anticipating. Also, fair enough, Spotify has indicated it's going to be doing this for a while. Mm. So it, it, it shouldn't necessarily be such a shock to the markets across the board because they've been pushing for this for a long time as well. This is a stock, as you say, that's rallied hard on the year, up now 77%. I'm interested, Sandy, on whether it's been the AI exuberance that it's been caught up in. We know that they have an AI DJ, for example, but how much can artificial intelligence add to the bottom line in any way. So, you know, great thing over here, a couple of things when it comes to AI, right? First off, the share price rally, if you really think about it, it has been driven because of the huge layoffs that they had. They got rid of Don Ostroff as well. They've really been trying to clean out their operations and build out that OPEX space, which is what investors have been asking for over that time. I don't think that this is that much of an AI play in terms of what's driving the share price rally. I think around artificial intelligence, a big thing that everybody wants to understand right now, yes, it's a buzzword, but Spotify has been implementing AI and ML for a substantial period of time, even when they recommend their music to us, right? So they have already dipped their toes into this water. There is some contentious issues coming out right now between uh, the music, the record labels, as well as the digital streaming platforms, but they've always had a contentious relationship. When we're thinking about AI and ML, a big thing over here is just going to be how much more technology do they need to acquire? How much more money do they need to spend on this? And then how does that story play into their cash constraints or into their profitability constraints? That, of course, is something that hasn't been directly addressed so quickly. And perhaps the next quarter or two will tell us about how Spotify is going to think about investments in this. Yeah. So only then will we get to know exactly how the market's going to react to those costs or the investment costs for that. I mean, meanwhile, go back to the cost cutting. We are anticipating further job cuts, I think they said, in the next quarter of the CF. And Don Ostroff, you mentioned, I mean, a big talent loss from a podcasting perspective. But is this the right direction to be trimming costs when it comes to talent and people? Mm -hmm. So I think that the big thing with Don Ostroff as well, right? So quite creative in terms of the content that was being created. Podcasting, especially back in 2021 and 2022, was the buzzword that Spotify was going for at that time. But it's been pretty evident so far that monetization and podcasting is pretty hard despite an increase in consumption across the board. The technology that they had or the entire situation of how music streaming or podcast advertising works doesn't really lend itself at the current moment to create monetization opportunities. What they're going to be doing over here is going to be getting smarter in terms of the content that they have. They're going to be trying to monetize that a lot better. And if that requires them to take a certain amount of hits or have a certain degree of losses to curtail and get a bit leaner, they're still providing that story of profitability which the market mm. cares about most again, right? They've shifted or the market has shifted from that story of podcasting growth towards a story of a bit more of a conservative company with better margins. Sandeep, great to catch up with you. Thank you. Sandeep Sharma, yeah. working at 5pm over there in Europe, Third Bridge Analyst.
Time now for Talking Tech. First up, Xiaomi plans to focus on 5G smartphones and a leaner product portfolio in India. Now, the once dominating Chinese manufacturer is trying to claw back market share, lost to rivals, including South Korea's Samsung in India. It's, of course, its second biggest market. Meanwhile, Adobe's $20 billion takeover of design startup Figma is on course for an investigation from EU merger regulators. The purchase is also facing global scrutiny as the US Justice Department prepares an antitrust lawsuit seeking to block the merger. And Sequoia, well, it's cut a third of its talent division, a sign of continued restructuring in the world of Silicon Valley startups and VC. Now, the move comes as the firm parts ways with at least five investing partners, two of which had championed Sequoia's doomed backing of crypto exchange, FTX. Let's go back to the M&A theme, though, with we're just talking Adobe and Figma. What then of Amazon's deal for its acquisition of iRobot. Now, iRobot is actually now going to come at a lower price point for Amazon, it would seem. For the Roomba maker, it's now going to be $51.75 per share, down from $61 per share when it was originally agreed. Change, we understand, to offset well, some rather expensive debt that iRobot is taking on. Let's go to Spencer Soper, who is our man on the ground when it comes to Amazon. And Spencer, I'm interested in this pretty hefty price cut. I mean, were you anticipating it? Because it is a pretty expensive debt deal that they've struck. Yeah, and it actually, it seems like the uh, the regulatory scrutiny and slowing this deal down is actually benefiting Amazon because, you know, this is, uh, iRobot's an example of another one of these kind of pandemic darlings that uh, people were just snatching them up right and left when everyone was locked at home and trying to keep their homes nice. And uh, they're now they're struggling from, the, uh, from people returning to normal habits, which I guess includes keeping a messy house or cleaning the house yourself. Um, and so, yeah, so they're able to to cut their cut their price in response to this debt that iRobot had to take on because the market is is softer. We've been naming ours various things back at home, <laughs> but I'm I'm interested. Like for Amazon, there's another key price point for them and cost base, which of course is people. And we know that Amazon have been tri trimming on their people. There's an interesting news point today that, well, the deal between UPS and Teamsters, so their own delivery force, seems to have been struck now. What does that mean for Amazon? Because of course we know that they have tension with labor unions. Yeah, that it, it is interesting. So near term, Amazon wasn't sweating a UPS strike too much, even though Amazon is UPS's largest customer. I think uh, one in 10 UPS packages actually come from, mm. from Amazon in the U.S. Uh, but still, Amazon wasn't sweating it too much because they have their own delivery network. They have, you know, their branded vans out there run by small businesses. And they also have like this flex army of drivers, like kind of like Uber that you can deliver Amazon packages in your own van. So they've definitely diversified that. And also it's summertime. So things aren't slow if there was like mm -hmm. a summertime strike that's a that's actually a good time for amazon to see a to see a labor strike for its delivery people because there's just not as much demand to say the holidays but but uh longer term this is an interesting development because the teamsters have said we're going to focus on on ups and get our contract and then we're coming for you amazon because amazon does have thousands of these uh delivery service partners that employ hundreds of thousands of drivers um and the teamsters don't like how little those drivers are getting paid and the conditions that they're working in. And so now they're going to take this contract that they have with UPS and try to dangle it in front of those um, drivers who are delivering packages for Amazon and say, hey, you guys, you guys deserve a lot better. Why don't you come on board with us? So I think we're going to see, see more of a fight between the Teamsters and Amazon now that the UPS situation is resolved. Interesting. UPS getting a bit of a boost on, well, some clarity at least from that deal. Spencer Sofa, great read across to Amazon. Thanks so much.
Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. Let's get you up to speed with where these markets are trading because we know that about 40% of the entire market cap of the likes of the S&P are coming for earnings this week. Tech managing to push on higher. The key market capitalizations of Microsoft, of Alphabet, they're both giving us numbers after the bell. People optimistic that perhaps they can vindicate in some way the massive run-up we've seen in market capitalization and valuations at the first half of the year. We're looking at the Golden Dragon Index. That's, of course, the Nasdaq Golden Dragon over there in China. Those names that are traded here in the US. On the upside, that comes more on a macro picture and the fact that China is looking to once again support its own economy, giving wind actually to a lot of some of the mining names out there. That's why Europe managed to trade higher in today's trade as well. I'm looking at a two-year yield on the downside. Interesting some steepening of that yield curve today. The 10-year selling off, bonds rising in terms of a borrowing cost there and actually overall price falling. That's on the back of consumer confidence when Good news is bad news. Consumer confidence really strong at the moment. What does the Fed therefore do in terms of trying to suppress inflation when the economy still looks pretty good? Let's have a look at what's happening in terms of individual names for you, though, because NXP Semiconductor, actually numbers doing better than expected. We're particularly seeing growth in the automotive sector for this chip maker. We're up 4%. What does that read across mean for the rest of the chip makers today and the rest of the week? I'm looking at Raytheon Technologies because, yes, it makes engines, but that is deeply a tech story. And we're seeing it on the downside because some of the paint, the powder paint used in some key engines is actually causing issues. They're going to have to investigate and do more assessments. It's going to cost them. So they're down by some 13%. We're looking at Microsoft, though, up a percentage point ahead of their all-important numbers. And we know so much of that's going to be about its cloud, but also its generative AI. And also, what's happening with the gaming, the focus on Activision. We can weave all of that together now, because generative AI, we know, is opening up a potential to lower game production costs, with one analyst telling Bloomberg that the money, the time, the people needed to complete one big game can be cut in half. Part of that cost saving could come down to tools like, well, Cropco, an anime character generator by Preferred Networks. Just take a listen. First, we will generate some random characters to begin with. Uh, click on the generate. Generate. Ah, After. yeah, not safe for work. <laughs> <laughs> With many industries across the board, AI is disrupting the business of making video games. We're headed to Preferred Networks in Tokyo to create our very own anime character in less than five minutes. Generative AI is opening up the potential to lower game production costs, with one analyst telling Bloomberg that the money, time, and people needed to complete one big game can be cut in half. Part of that cost saving could come down to tools like Crypto, an anime character generator by preferred networks. You can also fine-tune the character's features, like giving it pointy ears and different expressions. I want mine to have glasses, and I'm naming her Kimiko. After you create the character, you can chat with the character. Love your hair today. Still, critics argue generative AI is trained on art without consent from the original creators. Fukuda says they began debating copyright concerns three years ago.
sorry, we didn't have the, the translation for that at the very end, but we thank Karimi Mori in Tokyo for that piece. Meanwhile, sticking with gaming, Super League Gaming is a leading launchpad for brands and creators in a pretty dynamic gaming metaverse, in fact. Here to talk more about the metaverse, advertising, boom or bust, Super League Gaming CEO. Anne Hand, it is great to have some time with you, Anne. And look, we look ahead to Meta, the actual company that's rebranded itself a couple of years ago, its earnings. We're looking towards whether advertising is still there, whether people, particularly in the gaming sector, are seeing a new avenue. You are, are you still seeing a commitment from brands to want to reach a new audience through gaming in the metaverse? Yeah, absolutely. I think the um, reality is, is the definition of gaming has changed a great deal. Um, you know, when in the early days when you were trying to advertise in a game, you were interrupting the game experience. And then really with the explosion of these open world gaming platforms that are like open canvases, games like platforms like Roblox and Minecraft and increasingly Fortnite, um, it really allows brands to be brought natively into the landscape of the game. Mm. And so it changes that experience in the way brands, kind of like product placement on steroids, can deeply interact with with harder to reach audiences. So I think the definition of end game advertising and what that means and looks like and why users want it and, and appreciate it and engage with it more has changed a great deal. Can you give us any facts, numbers, data that can just put the confidence back into people that that brands are still wanting to commit real money to this? Yeah, I mean, look, there's no doubt that while you've got, you know, Meta's great news with 3 billion aggregated users, you know, still you're seeing that digital uh, ad dollars are down, right? Mm -hmm. Ad spend's down. But that's really about traditional digital advertising because that's been underperforming now for the last couple of years. And so when brands are trying to seek much deeper engagement, that top of the funnel, including that conversion over into physical sales, um, interacting in these open world gaming platforms, um, again, is a way to reach a hard to reach audience and actually achieve those marketing outcomes that right now traditional social media isn't delivering on. I think, what is it, 56 billion by 2024 is where you see in-game advertising and projected growth to go. How much does that convert into real sales? What sort of data do you see as to when I'm interacting with it on Twitch and I'm seeing a particular brand that I actually go out and purchase something? Yeah, again, you know, when you think about seeing an ad on YouTube or in Twitch and clicking over on that conversion, there's lots of studies that are showing that our eyeballs are glazing over those ads. <laughs> we can't hit X fast enough, right? We're tuning them out. Um, the difference for what we do, a good example is what we did for Mattel with Barbie um, late last year, is we actually baked a Barbie Dreamhouse virtual world inside an existing game world that already had tons of players. And during that course of that month, we were able to have 60 million visits to Barbie's Dreamhouse. You could uh, swim in the pool. You could DJ on the roof deck. Again, this is about kind of deep engagement that enhances the gameplay. Another great example is two promotions we ran for Chipotle, where you could, in one case, go through a Halloween maze and um, find a secret phrase for a burrito. The second one was a build a burrito campaign. During the course of those two campaigns, uh, we gave away 130,000 real-life burritos, but also set records for highest digital app download day and one of the highest digital food sales days for Chipotle. So that digital and physical crossover is a really powerful thing um, that's much more sticky um, in a virtual world experience that, again, is interactive for the, the user. Does it have to be massive brands? 
You know, it's a great question, actually. We um, we do a lot of work with, like, Universal, and you'd expect with a lot of the, the studios, you know, Netflix, Disney, Paramount, who's one of our investors. Um, and what Universal did last year is they tested new IP. Um, so, yes, we do a lot with Minions and some of their, their more known IP, but uh, equally they dropped some animated characters that, that kids had never seen before. And we were able to test for them. Um, you know, how much kids responded to the different characters ahead of the debut in the movie theaters. And I've often said to some of the larger toy makers in the world and, and others, like, let's find your next billion dollar toy line in the metaverse first. Let's sample different IP. Frankly, let's engage those young audiences in helping us actually craft that great new toy line and, and really start to reverse that flow from digital to physical, but also just think about the smarter cog supply chain savings by just doing your R&D, turning it on its head. It is interesting that, of course, in this economic environment, all companies are focused on the bottom line. They can't be growth at any cost anymore. And also, at the same time, we have this fervor building around artificial intelligence, and it sort of immediately saw these crypto companies, or even, dare I say, Mark Zuckerberg himself, talking way more about AI than he was about the metaverse at his last earnings. How much are you seeing companies being torn about where they put their R&D or their marketing spend to work? Yeah, it's it's a great question because in some ways, you know, Super League was talking about the metaverse prior to meta rebranding, right? And um, and in a way, we've all had to kind of suffer through the the highs and lows of that hype cycle of it. I think what's exciting for the positioning of metaverse and AI, as you just saw in your previous segment, can play a really important role in the generation of gamified experiences and virtual worlds. And so all those things will only make um, that marketing spend or investment by brands more efficient. But what I would say about just the term metaverse, and I think even when I read some of the comments that the head of metaverse at metaverse recently said at, at some conferences, I think that they are showing that there is more of a hybrid view now. You know, there's social media, and then there was the strong point of view of a fully immersive metaverse world with, with headsets and hardware, right? And our point of view has always been that there is a world we're living in right now in the middle that doesn't... Uh, revolve around hardware. Um, there's already hundreds of millions of people who love these 2D virtual worlds that have all of that same feeling of immersion. It may not be as immersive, but it's a way that they enjoy socializing and living. And so Super League is a publishing engine for the immersive web. And what we're doing right now is helping brands understand that to change their dot-com experience. Super League Gaming CEO Anne Hand, thank you so much for your time today digging into just how willing marketeers are to spend right now. Meanwhile, coming up, Twitter, it's now X, you know it. Musk took that social platform, well, to his favorite letter. We're going to go into the history and just discuss what perhaps is at stake here. From New York, this is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. 
And Grammarly's personalised on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. So Elon Musk has explained his decision to strip Twitter of its famous Bluebird logo, saying it made sense when the platform was just about short messages going back and forth like birds tweeting. But now, as the platform expands its character limit and look, it moves towards his vision of an everything app, he says the Twitter name does not make sense in that context. So we must bid adieu to the bird. Let's talk about the brand destruction. Let's talk about X as a historical fact point. Philip Shoemaker is with us, CEO of open source identity verification platform Identity.com. Also, of course, the former Apple App Store director, along with Bloomberg's own Max Chafkin. For more, and Max, I want to start with you on the history of this, because it all felt very whirlwind and overnight. But actually, if you look back at history or indeed what he was just saying as he was looking to buy Twitter, this kind of makes sense. Yeah, this is very much Elon Musk essentially putting himself in Twitter's brand. Uh, The X brand and this idea of having kind of a super app goes back to the late 90s when Elon Musk started the company that would become PayPal. You know, the history is very interesting. Elon Musk actually merged this company, X.com, with PayPal, became CEO, and then was ousted after a very controversial effort to change the name from PayPal to X.com. At the time, a lot of employees felt like that was a, a really insane decision just because PayPal had a really great brand. It was a verb, you know, very much the way that Twitter was a verb. Um, and also when you're talking about finance, right, trust and so on is very important. And I, I think the same issues could be at play here. You know, on the other hand, Elon Musk has, has managed to, you know, defy the laws of, of business gravity many times. <laughs> so it's possible that this will look brilliant in retrospect. Let's talk about whether it could look brilliant. Philip, from your perspective, do you think... Twitter, now X, could win back not only advertisers but the consumer to have the trust that this could be a payments player and a big one. Yes, ab- absolutely. I-, I see so many people writing Twitter or X's obituaries right now saying that it's over. And I see the opposite, right? I see uh, Elon fulfilling his long-term dream of having a, a, a universal app, a, a super app, whatever you want to call it, that's going to do a variety of things. He wants to change the way we pay people, the way that people get uh, uh, get monetized for their content. I, I see this as really the beginning of something huge, and uh, and there's no no stopping Elon when he won't really wants something. Philip, to your point, of course, with someone who's very much steeped in the world of Web3 right now, how much is this 
having to adopt Web3 or crypto, or will it be more of what we would associate PayPal and Venmo with? Yeah, I think Elon really wants to adopt crypto and he wants to embrace the Web3 ideals. But I think that will be selling it short. I think he needs to embrace both. Uh, you, you can live in a world that's Web3 and Web2 uh, to be able to uh, uh, to handle payments, etc. I mean, he's making Twitter. It's essentially a universal namespace. Uh, people want to know who I am. I'm PBS identity. Um, I don't necessarily get my whole name. Um, I get the, the, the handle that I've chosen. And from that point on, people can Send me money directly to that, and for me, it's something that that uh, that bridges this gap between mm. Web two and Web three. Max, the history is so fascinating, and the fact that he ultimately was ousted because people felt that this was a, a, a mad move and brand destruction. How much are you reading and feeling that ultimately we are destroying something with Twitter, with tweets, with the bird, or not? That actually people want to be involved in the brand of Elon. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at Elon Musk's history and, and you look for weaknesses, you know, obviously he has a lot of strengths, um, as, as Philip was just saying. But but the weakness, I think, um, is ego. Right. And and you've, you've seen it get him get him into trouble before um, when he sort of stepped in it on Twitter. And, and, you know, this is a case where you're taking a very well-known, very successful media brand and, and, and taking it apart. And I mean, the verb thing does strike me as a, as a challenge. I mean, it's hard to know. Elon yesterday on, on Twitter said that they're called X's now, um, which is kind of hard to say. Yeah. And, and so I, I think it's going to be a challenge. And of course, there is, you know, this kind of um, very far out vision of, of payments and so on. But number one question is, do you trust Twitter, which is run by a guy who, you know, spends a lot of his day? But it's not um, run sort of by a guy, or is it? I mean, to that point, can Linda Yacolino well, you know, steer us, Max? That's a very good question, right? I mean, and, and, and she has come out um, sort of embracing this um, and, and, and very much has Elon's back. Uh, I, I just think the question is, you know, why buy this company for $44 billion if you were going to take away the brand? The brand... Uh, seems like it was part of the value here. Yeah. Of course, Elon Musk has a very valuable brand as well, so uh, I suppose we'll see. Of course, lastly, Philip, Apple App Store, you help build the review operations team, you help build in and of itself. I'm looking at the App Store and look, this bluebird's still there and it's still called Twitter. How quickly can you sync these things up from an app perspective? Uh, he could have he could have done a sync immediately, right? It's it's not it's it's pretty trivial for them to be able to submit the changes, get the uh, get the logo updated, and then have the up uh, the app updated in a matter of hours. So I, I, why that's taking a longer time makes me wonder if there's some additional features that uh, that he hasn't announced that are going to go with it as well. Otherwise, it should have been through already. There's a run fast mentality here. We'll see how much they're breaking things. Philip Shoemaker, we thank you so much, CEO of Identity.com. Bloomberg's Max Chafkin, brilliant, really shining a light on the history of all of this. And go follow his tweets because it certainly caught my attention. Got to talk about Snap. Parent company, of course, is Snapchat, set to report earnings after the bell today. And for more on what we can expect, let's bring in Bloomberg's Alex Marinka. And, well, a couple of years ago, it really set the tone for the rest of where the advertising market was going for the metas, for the alphabets. Is it a bellwether anymore at the moment, Alex? 
Well, timing-wise, I would say no, because Snap actually uh, is reporting with Alphabet on the day. But in terms of what we can potentially expect for Meta tomorrow, we'll still be looking at Snap. That's because they are kind of the pure play digital ad company who relies on online ads on Snapchat for the vast majority of their revenue, which has also, Caroline, been kind of the problem with this stock. Mm -hmm. As economic conditions have continued to be a little bit sluggish, their revenue is so tied to how marketers are feeling because they are kind of brand revenue, upper funnel revenue um, generator. So they have been kind of really hit hard when it comes to this pullback in spending that we've seen from marketers across the board. They've really tried to put themselves out there as experimental though, and particularly around artificial intelligence. Is that going to have reaped any reward in this economic environment? That is exactly what investors will be looking for. I think the big question here with Snap is, okay, you've cut costs over the last year. We've seen them lay off 20% of the workforce, rein in a lot of their spending. Things are getting a little bit more stable as the analysts from UBS and JP Morgan predict they will be when they report today. But where is the growth going to come from? Mm. Is it uh, artificial intelligence uh, like they have in their chatbot, their AI chatbot on the app? Is it going to be augmented reality where they've built an entirely new business unit around it earlier this year to sell that to enterprises and retailers. We don't have a lot of that clarity yet, and that's exactly what we'll be looking for from the executives today. Hey, Snap, you used to be kind of the growthy social media stock on the block. Now you've reported one quarter, your first ever quarter of declining revenue three months ago. We expect revenue will decline this month as well. At what point do you come back to growth? And to that point, just remind us of growth of actual users, because, I mean, what was it, Threads just eclipsed their entire US user base in about five days, but it's a very niche, bespoke age group, right? Absolutely. Analysts expect only a 3% increase from three months ago in terms of users to around 390 million and change. So Threads is right there. And obviously, you can't forget about the big private company that's been taking Snap users mm. or their time, TikTok, uh, who kind of has, has bullied in on this young user group that Snap used to be very much known for. So that kind of 3% expected user growth this quarter is really endemic of the problem with this company. Hey, if your revenue isn't growing, we need to see you growing on user base or engagement. You have this new subscription, Snapchat Plus, that folks are paying money for, and Snap has been able to convert users to pay for new features, which has been kind of ahead of its competitors. But as of three months ago, there were still only 3 million people paying for that. We'll be looking for that updated number as well. So that user number could be an inflection point, but again, we'll be looking for something a little bit more strong for them as to what to expect in the next six months. Alex Barenka, across that 100 million users here in the US and 300 million worldwide. Let's see how they grow. Thank you so much. As we look ahead to Snap, that's it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Don't forget to check out our podcast from New York. This is Bloomberg Technology. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.